It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, horror and sci-fi author, John Crinan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 61 of Great Writers Share, the podcast where every week we grab an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around to join us on the show and discuss their approach to the craft of writing, publishing, and staying creative. It is the 10th of November 2020 as I record this, so let's dive into my personal update. It's NaNoWriMo, day 10, and I'm just hammering out words as fast as I can. I've had a couple of good days, a couple of bad days, but right now I'm still coming in ahead of schedule and should hopefully hit 50k with a bit of room to spare. I will let you know next month how I do. Since my last update, my short story, The Evacuee of Old Mill Lane, was published on the Other Stories podcast as the second entry in their week-long Halloween event. We talk about this a lot in today's episode, so let's get back to business. My thanks to everyone who answered the question of the week as posted on our Patreon and Facebook. The question we asked was, which medium other than novels would you like to try your hand at writing? And we got a lot of answers. Yanni Jade, Jen Mitchell and Faye Trask all wanted to have a stab at screenwriting. Laura Kay, along with screenplays, also mentioned a desire to write graphic novels and children's picture books. Holly Lyon is just like me, uh, wanting to do everything, write screenplays, graphic novels and for television. In fact, Holly admitted that not so long ago her dream was to be a writer on the Walking Dead TV series. And last by no means least, Meg Jolly says that as a teenager she wanted to draw manga comics. And I imagine she'd write those comics as well, which, if you can do both, write and draw, is a fairly sweet spot to be in the comics world. And that, as you're about to hear, is the perfect point for me to move into the main episode because... Today's guest is Andy Conduit-Turner, and we chat about writing comics, navigating publishing contracts, and choosing the best medium for your story, along with a lot more. But before we get into the show, I want to remind you about our Patreon community over at patreon.com forward slash greatwriterssharer where for as little as $1 a month, you can get involved in our behind-the-scenes group, benefiting from early ad-free access to episodes of the show, joining our private Slack channel, asking upcoming guests any of your questions, and getting to watch our monthly Q&A videos, where me and the other hosts discuss important topics like which one of us we'd eat first if stranded together on a desert island. So... If you like the idea of upping your author career and getting all of that good stuff, then one more time, that is patreon.com forward slash greatwriterschair. And now, without any further ado, let's dive into the interview with the one and only Andy Conduit-Turner. Andy Conduit-Turner is a writer, editor and podcaster originally from the Midlands in the UK. He is one of the founders of Horde Comics, where he wrote and successfully kickstarted the Horde Comics Anthology Volume 1 back in 2018. 
In 2019, he collaborated on The Nest, a novella which was published by Hawk and Cleaver that he co-wrote along with myself, Daniel Wilcox and Ben Errington, who was a former guest on this very podcast. I think it was episode 56. More recently, in 2020, Andy masterminded and directed the week-long Halloween audio epic, The Halloween Horrors of Old Mill Lane, which starred British horror legend Emily Booth in the leading role. And alongside all that, Andy's short fiction is regularly featured on the Other Stories podcast. He's a recurring guest and resident quiz master on the Horror Hangout podcast. And, according to his author bio, he claims to have a spreadsheet for everything, which might be something that we dig into, I'm not sure, in this conversation. Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, John. Nice to, nice to see you. It's good to see you too, buddy. Yeah, very good. So right now we are recording this at the start of November. The Halloween Horrors of Old Mill Lane is now out. It's in the world. People have listened to it. Feedback seems to be very good. I think we just learned as well that it was the was it the biggest downloads in the history of the Other Stories podcast this uh, week as well. Yeah, Luke, Luke was telling me it's the biggest week they've had. So um, can't, can't argue with that. I, I was very pleased. Yeah, yeah, it turned out so good. I was involved a little bit. Um, I've spoken about it on this show uh, since I was one of the writers involved, but I just wrote one episode. So getting to hear it as it was coming out was just as exciting for me because although I was involved behind the scenes, I tried to not look too much at it, at, at what was coming out from the other writers so that I could have that joy of discovery and Goodness, it really, really t turned out so well, I think. How did you feel about how it all came together? Yeah, I was really happy. I, w I was conscious going in, especially, and you, John, remember this from The Nest, like I wanted to do something that was very collaborative still, and I did want to make sure people had their own voice. What I didn't want to do was go through and really homogenize everything, so it sounded exactly like I or one person wrote it. I wanted to make sure we still got stories that sounded like, you know, that, that you wrote, that Ben wrote, that Mike wrote, that Jasmine wrote. Um, so I wanted to keep it all still very individual, but then just tie those things together. So it was one thing I was very conscious of going in that it's not, um, you know, it wasn't that you're very kind to say I masterminded it, but um, I, I wasn't, I was very conscious. I didn't repeat, right, I'm the boss of this and this should be how exactly how I would write it. This should be, Everyone has a nice individual voice. It's going to be something that it feels like a collaboration or an anthology series. So, you know, like um, we'll go into the world of movies. When you watch like an anthology horror story, you can see where there's been a, you know, a different director or a different writer that's come up with the story. But there is still those strings that tie things together. From a writing perspective, I would say it was a lot of fun to write um, Emily's dialogue for the wraparound story. But that was probably the toughest thing to do without dragging you guys into too many restrictions. And I will defer to you as to whether you felt uh, restricted or not. But um, I wanted to make sure that everyone could write their own story. And then where I would come in would be just to pull those things together and give us something that all hung together nicely as a full thing as well. To answer your question, I didn't feel restricted at all. And actually, this is one of the things that I wanted to speak to you about. But I realize I have spoken about it on the show because I was obviously involved. But there will be listeners who perhaps haven't gone over to check it out. Could you give us a little pitch about what the Halloween horrors of Old Mill Lane actually is? Yeah, sure. So 
it all came from, and I can't give, I can't take full credit for the original seed of the idea. It actually came from our audio editor, Carl. So Carl Hughes, you know him well, of course. Um, he'd said, as we were coming up to Halloween this year, he knew the experience of doing the nest last year and all the all the hard work we'd thrown his way. So he asked a question in the group and said, well, do, should we do something that's based on some traditional monster stories for this Halloween? And everyone thought that was a good idea. And they asked who would like to run the show. I volunteered and then proceeded to make his life a lot more complicated. Um, <laughs> so pitch-wise, I would say that we chose the name Old Mill Lane because actually it's one of the most common street names in the UK. Certainly it's uh, maybe like the 45th most common street name in the UK. So much like with a series like Nightmare on Elm Street, where it's very difficult to place in the US, I wanted to give this a story, a feeling of this could be a street in any sort of small to mid-sized town in the country, really. Um, and then from there, really explore some traditional horror type stories. So we have stories about witches, ghosts, werewolves, vampires, that type of classic Halloween fare, but then tie it into an overarching narrative of stories that are presented as in these are urban legends or ghost stories of this particular street in this particular fictional town and how these are all tied together through the histories. So the other part of it is, and those who go on to listen to it will see that we really span through periods. We go back to the very beginning and we have some intro stories that are in the, the 1600s. Then we come forward through time to the modern day. So gave us a nice opportunity to play with different forms of language, different classic monsters and have different characters, but with a few a few threads that come through there. And there's really an overarching feel of storytelling and how stories and possibly the the haunting is passed over through generations as well. Hopefully people, um, you know, as you said, people seem to have enjoyed it. So hopefully anyone else that goes on to listen to it, those true horror believers that don't just listen to it in October, um, you'll enjoy yeah. it too. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I, like I said earlier as well, there was episodes in the series, although I knew what everyone was working on, but there was a lot of it that was new to me, which I listened to as they were um, premiering live, which was an interesting model as well that you decided to go with with the episode which is kind of unusual for a podcast which normally hits a feed at you know the same time every week but it's normally midnight in the middle of the night when no one's get it and then when they have their coffee in the morning they open up their podcast app and they get it for the halloween horrors you were pretty adamant from the start that you wanted to try and make each episode's release more of an event and we were all there as they were premiering live on youtube yeah, uh, it was something I wanted to experiment with. I know that the guys over at Hawk and Cleaver, they, they have a YouTube channel. They post um, videos and audio from almost everything they do over there because it's uh, another platform where people can, you know, can, can get the stories, can get the content and listen to it. So what we really wanted to do was, as well as serving the audience the guys already have, are there others out there that maybe, you know, they listen to some of their other content. Maybe they watch Horror Hangout. Maybe they catch up on some of the, the great writer's share stuff that yourself and Dan and everyone post, but maybe they don't necessarily catch the other stories every week. And given that we're in the Halloween period where people are doing, you know, 31 days of horror challenges and they're watching a horror movie every night, why don't we see if we can get into some of the watch party mentality and say, well, this is going to be premiering and we're not taking it away from any other platforms. If you prefer to do it with your coffee on a Monday morning, that's that's absolutely great. But 
um, if it's if you want to come along and the guys do watch parties of movies as well, right? If you wanted to have that type of environment um, or do some of the things that the Facebook group are doing, you can come and listen to it live with us with us there and we can chat along with some people that came along that were commenting you know as the episode as the episode dropped try and make a little bit more of a an event out of it as a special occasion but um from what i understand now following the end of the week i know ben had done some great work on the graphics and the scheduling as a result of it and now the guys are premiering every other stories episode on the sunday evening now as far as i understand yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah, it's very exciting. And it's a very interesting thing as a writer to be given the opportunity to kind of be present while your readers or listeners in this case, because it was in audio form, they're reading and consuming your story right there while you're in the room. And there's very few writers that actually get that opportunity to speak to someone as they're listening to the story, like immediately after the episode finished you know there was listeners in the chat we were all there and we were having fun and chatting amongst ourselves but there were listeners who were hearing it for the first time fans of the show thanking us all and saying that they enjoyed it and it's something that you almost never get a chance to do maybe maybe television writers potentially get that i guess normally we finish our story we publish them and then they're out in the world and people will read them at their leisure it was a very very lovely thing to do that i would never have considered uh, and I'm, I'm glad it seems to have gone well. Hopefully it will be a good opportunity for the guys to see more people come in. I know there's a few people, just this week's story, for example, it was that particular writer's first story, with certainly with the Hawk and Cleaver team. I don't know his entire history, but I think it's a nice opportunity for those writers, as you say, to be able to catch some live feedback or be able to see see their thing go out in like a, a little bit more of a bit of pomp and ceremony to it watch these things go out the door in the first case right so hopefully people will enjoy it but as i say if it's not how you consume the media then all of the other platforms still exist i was concerned at first that that uh, i'd be on i'd be on the naughty list from ben for giving him extra work every week but he says it's not that much so we're, we're all right <laughs> yeah i think it's a definitely an interesting way to publish it's something i never considered but it's another avenue that we have available to us now and really the good exciting. thing is that it's, uh, it's free as well right so you get all these things for free it's another way to get it out into the world and i guess when it comes to coming out there like i think i may be acutely aware of this because of also doing some comics work and some of the other professionals and other creatives that you work with in that space um i'm by no means saying they have their lives easy because their their work is incredibly intricate and it takes a lot of time but look at the ways you can get your your stories out in front of someone so when you're an artist doing artwork you have platforms like instagram and twitter and your facebook and getting that artwork in front of someone for someone to notice you and notice your talent can be fairly immediate right you you've got the opportunity to put it in front of their I do it. I scroll through Twitter and I see some fantastic art and it's instant without even having to pause. I have consumed their art and I know what that person is about. And if it catches my eye, it's caught my eye. Now, as a writer, getting your work noticed can be, and you'll know this as well as well as I do, if not better, like it's an uphill struggle because you have to have people stop and take in your work. People have to you have to convince people by one way or another to give you that time. Now, I would say through all of the things we have done, 
the audio work with we do that we do with Hawk and Cleaver and the like is probably one of the lowest time demands you can ask of someone for them to take a look at your work. Comics also fairly quick and you're supported by an artist's work, the same way as we're supported by the vocal artists and, and the sound work and everything. But you're looking for if you sending someone a file or or some papers to read a script they're going to have to have some investment to sit down and read one of your stories, right? Literally read the words you've written. Um, for me, certainly, having that opportunity to say to someone, hey, I don't even need you to sit and read this. Someone is going to read this to you. They're going to perform it for you, and there's going to be sound effects to it as well to really try and enhance that. And especially the stories that the other stories do in their format, I want, what, 15 minutes of your time? I want, I want a coffee break with you. If you would give me enough time to sit down for a coffee with me you can listen to one of then for that same amount of time you could listen to one of my stories and hear what i'm about um and certainly when you're pitching to other places as well i quite often include even for unrelated media i will include um audio links to some things the other stories have done for well hey if you want to hear um another one of my stories this is a 15 minute way for you to do it while you're doing something else yeah, that's a great point. I guess in a way it's repurposing content. I suppose, you know, we're talking about having a piece of fiction that could be uh, published in, in a Kindle or paperback. We've got something that can be performed by a, a narrator and added to music and sound effects. And then it becomes a podcast uh, on YouTube, adds exciting visuals, it becomes a video. And that's one story that's become three distinct pieces of media. Yeah, and you wrote it once, right? Maybe at the outside you edited it and tweaked it a little bit for your platforms, but you're probably about 80-90% there for that adjustment even. And we can't not mention the fact that it's starring Emily Booth, who I know that we're both big fans of. Yeah. What was it like working with Emily? Um, she was great. She is super friendly, super professional as well. Um has really good constructive ideas and she you could tell from the very beginning um she could probably speak to it more than i can how she goes about choosing her projects we began talking where i pitched much like i did to you guys what we were doing um emily does some voiceover work for the horror channel of course but all of her acting roles have always been physical to this point um so she's kind of in a position where yes she knows the equipment she can do voice recording but acting in a in a voice only role is something that she hasn't done very much of so we could talk through what that what that would entail and what i was looking for but um yeah she was she was super nice to work with super supportive um she was super well prepared when it came to recording um just for scheduling as much as everything else. She'd just finished a, a night shoot um, on a film she was working on before. So she'd been working nights on the week running up to us um, recording. We were getting towards the end at the point that Emily was ready to record because her night shoot had finished. Um, most of the narrators had done their first run of the story. So the raw audio from Emily was the last thing that the editing team were waiting to get their hands on. Um, she was super keen to get it write pretty well first time and limit any retakes she has to do had to do so we perhaps did the opposite to what we normally do with the narrating team so 
typically on a, on another stories episode and I don't control every single one of these so um, the other guys can speak more to that but the the narrator tends to get the script maybe if the writers or editors have put any notes in they will have that to go with but typically they would have that to be able to do a cold read and to interpret how they you know how they want to do it and then maybe if there's anything that comes up from a sound quality issue or there's you know, a, a word that the guides need to edit, then they will come back and make those edits afterwards. We really wanted to limit that um, with Emily. So what we did was uh, she and I got on a call together. Um, we literally did a an absolute read through of the script from start to finish. And she she read it. And then after every few lines, we paused and we would talk about, you know, intonations, pronunciations, how we wanted to deliver the lines where she was acting rather than just delivering it in some cases was she being more like a presenter other times she's been a bit more genuine when we have some more no spoilers let's say some more active um acting towards the end um you know what how was she going to deliver those and at the same time she was able to say actually i was running out of breath on that line maybe we could chop some words and tighten that one up a little bit so she was really good at giving some feedback of how that dialogue worked for her as well. Now, we were also quite lucky that I had started writing that dialogue after I first had a conversation with her. So I'd written it with her in mind at that point. It wasn't a, um, it wasn't meant to be for anyone else necessarily. So having heard her and seen her in other, other roles, you could kind of tailor it to things you'd expect her to be comfortable saying anyway, but then we really just fine tuned it together and then I think we had like one or two lines that we decided to retake. Um, anything that she wasn't happy with, she just did two or three runs at to begin with. So um, as I say, super professional, super nice. You could tell that she's obviously worked with, and I hope she'd agree, harder people to work with than um, than, than me before. But um, yeah, she was, she was really great. I would heartily recommend anyone else <laughs> looking for <laughs> voice talent. And that's one of the things as well. I, I don't think to not to downplay any of Emily's film roles that she's done. Um, but seeing, for me at very least, in my in my personal opinion, the delivery of some of the lines she does in in those lines are, especially because you're not distracted by oh how do the visual effects look on this one? How do the you know all of the qualities that you get through film? If you're just focused on how she's delivering this line as a vocal performance she was phenomenal like it came out so so well yeah i i 100 agree i remember um when you let me listen to a little bit and i won't go into detail about exactly what happened but it, i think it like gave me goosebumps or something she was so good and it was delivered so well it was such a fantastic thing to be to be a part of and she really went above and beyond afterwards as well because obviously she did the recording but she was very active on social promoting the the show and she turned up for the premiere of episode one on youtube and she was in the chat it was a you obviously worked a lot closer with her than than i did but just seeing her being involved um and how she how she approached it was very professional and yeah i think she went above and beyond yeah she made a real big point of that when we first started talking about working together i think as someone who works primarily on you know independent or smaller studio films as well i think it's always something that because she takes projects that she believes in and that she um you know that she is interested in doing 
I think she makes a point of really going above and beyond and being part of the promotion and discussion around that. And I say she was she was great to work with. Uh, as much as it would sadden me if she was too busy or expensive for us to work with in the future, I think it would be very well deserved if she was inundated with uh, voice work requests. Agree. I, I certainly would, um, you know, for future things that, that we're working on or I'm working on, if I had something that fit the the profile that she was working in, then um, absolutely I would snap her up again in a heartbeat. Yeah, and we do have a little bit. I don't know if this has been talked about publicly yet, but you and I are both working on, along with other writers, perhaps expanding some of the old Mill Lane stories, adding some new stuff, and potentially putting it out as a book quite soon. Yeah, it's uh, next thing on the docket, right? So. You're right. So we're talking about some additional chapters, maybe covering some other other time periods, um, maybe expanding some chapters as well, because I think that's the one restriction, of course, that we all have to work to when we're working in that format. There is a there is a word count that we're working because in turn there is a, a time that the episode is going to run now. The only, um, you know, some of the some of the constructive pieces from ourselves, I think, as we come away from those chapters, whether the audience feel the same or not, well, it's to be seen, I guess. But um, you know, I think some what we come away with some of the chapters would be, it would be great if I just had the room to expand that out a little bit. And I think in the written format, where you know people are sitting down to read that, actually, they are more invested in that time because. A book is something that you you know you pick up, you put down, you you're going to stay with for a little bit longer. So I think the scope of being able to expand those chapters a little bit is going to really add a little bit more to some of those stories as well. So hopefully, it will find an audience not only with people who are coming to it for the first time as a book, but also people who already listened and enjoyed the series to the series for them to think, oh, okay, now I can get this and a little bit more. Um, you know, to fill out that background, I would be the last to compare myself to a um, you know popular franchise like a like a Star Wars or something like that. But you know, the same way that people get into that, right? So these are the films that you love. But then, actually, if you read these books that have more content to them, I think I'd really like to capture that type of of interest because, like, as a reader, it's what I enjoy. I can really get into that stuff. So it's fantastic and attractive as a writer as well, right? Yeah, I'm I'm very excited about the opportunity to write a new story. Um, I started thinking about some stuff that we didn't cover, some some monsters or some evils that we uh, didn't cover in the in the week long audio production. And I have stumbled across a little idea that I've just fallen in love with. So I'm very excited to write it. Uh, someone has just started putting off fireworks outside my window. So if you can hear this, I'm sorry, everyone. I can't do anything about that. But it's that time of year, unfortunately. Yeah, the celebration of the of the release, I imagine. That's what everyone's putting fireworks up for. That that's probably exactly what it is. Um, Old Mill Lane was a lot of fun. It's obviously your most recent thing. I was involved too, so we spent quite a lot of time on that. I've just realised. Um, you've got another venture that I want to talk about because I'm very very interested in this, and I mentioned it in your intro, and that is Horde Comics. So you yes. obviously work in comics. I did a little bit of reading about the formation of this, but could you just go over it for our listeners, how Horde Comics came about? 
Sure. Um, it was originally myself and two of my very old friends from, you know, back in back in secondary school. We talked about it and we flirted with these ideas of doing comics. When you are, let's be brutally honest, not mature or committed enough to be able to do them. And I say that as if we were talking when we're 14. We weren't. We were like 18 to 22. We were like, you know, this was we're at, you know, we're at university or in, you know, post university jobs that we don't really care about. And, you know, we have a lot more free time with our lives still. And we talk about, hey, wouldn't it be cool to do this type of thing? And you throw ideas between each other. And, you know, maybe sometimes you lose a weekend to potentially scripting something out. And then the one member of our trio that is um, is an artist professionally, um, you know, he would draw some concept stuff. But we never got to the point where we um, where we finished anything or, or got it to a position where we could publish it. Like, I... I imagine at the time none of us would have had a clue about self-publishing and how you would go about how you would going about how would you go about doing that type of thing um you know let alone any concrete ideas of how you would pitch something to a publisher so you know that 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 happened um and then it it, it didn't we went away and we um came back in our early 30s instead and thought hey like we've now met people i had got increasingly into the independent comic scene as a reader and occasional reviewer of of some of some books for a few sites um greg was still working you know full time as uh, in various jobs in the in the art industry um chris was working um in various you know various office jobs as well and what we found ourselves in a position to do was well hey life has moved on a little bit we're probably a little bit more savvy and we're committed to do this type of thing i knew a little bit more about actually publishing and how independent comics were working at the time and you know we weren't living between paychecks and then throwing that all up at the wall at, you know at the pub every weekend either we had income to be able to invest in something so um so we did we just thought hey we talked about this all the time let's go and let's go and do something like this and our approach to actually do it was hey regardless of what happens with this long term we're going to put everything into one book if we only ever release one book then that's fine it's on the wall and i have a comic that came out um but you know we've done more than that so um yeah i was i was i was pleased that's how it all started and that's where we really went from there and we started with an anthology to give everyone a bit of a taster because you know really going in with and i think you see this happen a lot and it might be maybe people can be let's say cautious when it comes to an independent comic like when someone comes out and they're not known creators and say right the first thing i'm doing is this is issue one of a 40 issue epic each one 40 pages long like it's few and far between to either find that audience straight away or have that financial and energy um you know financial backing and the energy to carry on with that type of production if it doesn't hit straight away so yeah, yeah. we start with an anthology just to give people a taster and it was all one shot so if there's nothing else that we ever did that's fine we made it 
that's such a common thing for a lot of beginning writers. It better not tarnish everyone with the same brush. But I know that I certainly, when I started writing, started writing an epic. It was going to be huge. It kept on growing arms and legs, this idea. It was a novel and it was a series of novels, a trilogy. Oh, it could go even bigger than that. And I guess that's something that all creators can be guilty of doing sometimes. So having the responsibility to kind of rein in that ambition and go, you know what, actually, let's just do this one shot. The one shot, I've, I've read the the anthology. It's a, it's a little collection of the th- five stories. It's a very responsible way to, uh, to approach it. And it, it probably starts you off with this s- smaller win that gives you the momentum to then move on to something a bit larger. I'm finding that in my own work. I tried and failed to write novels for years and then started writing short stories and dis- suddenly discovered, oh, yeah, I, c- I can start and I can finish and I can build momentum slowly. I'm a little bit slower than others. But now I'm working, you know, it's NaNoWriMo right now. I'm writing this novel and it's it's just flowing. It's easier now. It's I, I've done this before. I've finished things before. And I guess it's exactly the same with comics. Yeah, you're right. And I think the the real benefit of having these things out in this format is that you've you've got that encouragement you've got some feedback you know where you want to pivot and change your process before you get into something bigger like lessons i've learned from a four or five page comic are going to be far less you know financially and physically painful than lessons i learned from a 40 page comic because i think that is the fundamental difference apart from you know you can talk about how you structure scripts differently as, as one point but the fundamental difference that you're thinking about when you're publishing an independent comic, unless you're also fortunate enough to be a skilled artist, is that as a writer, every single one of those pages is going to cost you money if you're going to produce it. If you're not, if you're not working with a publisher who's putting their hands in their pockets, um, and even though you, know, you mentioned at the top, we successfully kickstarted the comic. Um, we kickstarted it for the um, to cover the cost of printing and to use it as almost a marketing tool um you know to really use that as an opportunity to get it out there and get some momentum the intention was always um that the art would be funded um would be funded ourselves and it was um our friend chris that said like this is something he wanted to do so he was in a position where he was fortunate enough to say we'll work together greg's going to do some of the art but for the stories that aren't aren't with him and we're doing internally in-house if you like i will i will help support that and then i'll try my best to earn it back from the sales but um you know we're putting it out there so that is something you really think about when you're writing a comic right if you're writing a book there are free ways or at very least inexpensive ways to put it out in the press but if you are working with an artist and if you're working with um an artist who is good then then you will certainly in my opinion the fair thing to do is to pay them for their pay them for their time there are ways around it that other people approach where they maybe co-own the sales but again you're asking someone to put an awful lot of time into producing something um that if it doesn't sell they never see anything back from especially if someone is working as an artist full-time right so um, it was something we wanted to do in the first place and invest in. 
Yeah, so you were approaching other artists. Now, comics is one of those kind of difficult mediums. Obviously, you can you can read a read a book and that's, you know, then you, you can kind of learn how to write a book from reading one. Um, if you want to write TV or films, scripts are generally things that you can, film scripts, sorry, are generally things that you can pick up and find. You can buy them in bookstores. Some of them are published. Comics is a little bit more, I'm obviously not in the scene as, as deeply as you are, but I haven't seen many comic scripts so if you were working with your friends, I can imagine you could come up with a kind of in-house style. You know, you're talking, you're, you're in constant communication with your friends. You can kind of figure out exactly what you want to do. But how did you actually uh, learn to approach external comics artists with with a script that would be kind of industry standard? Did you, where did you find those? Um, I will tell you that um, UK indie comics, small press, um, there's a really nice community. Um, back when we could do conventions, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> like, you know, you would go and you would meet these people, and you and you you meet them on you meet them on the circuits, and people are, you know, it's not like a publisher that has an office, and you know, maybe you see a salesperson at a, at a table selling their books. These are people who write, who draw, who who are coloring who are lettering their own comics and they are much like us that they're there telling their stories and they're keen to talk about it and they are almost universally incredibly supportive and um, collaborative people and quite frankly i spoke to a couple of people who were good enough to share and there isn't a there isn't a universal truth there are tips and tricks you can have to writing a comic um, but there isn't a there isn't a word setting that you could put on there in a template say this is how you must write a comic because you're writing effectively a collaborative document that an artist is going to look at and you're going to you're going to work together to establish what is the final the final product right um, people have people have very different styles when I write um, a comic script there are a few guidelines I follow um, and tips that people have shared over the years about how many panels you can really fit on a on a page and there still be good art and obviously the more panels the smaller they're going to be and the less detail by and large you can fit into them um, and then by extension you have to be very very um, conservative with the number of words you're going to use because nothing worse than a you know a fantastic page of artwork which is then swamped in words right so um you have to be super super efficient with the way you use your words as well and also uh, and this is a trap that some people fall into on a comic script is that you're very much not writing a film script so you cannot write that the the ninja jumps and climbs over the fence and then jumps down at the other side and then runs across the road you know that is a cup that is a line of a film dialogue right but in a comic that is three four panels because you've had three four actions so you're happy again you have to be very conservative with especially if you're thinking every page this extends this costs me another x pounds to to get produced you have to be very thoughtful as to okay what what words am i saying what actions convey the actions that happened in between 
and how do we and how do we work that? And then again, giving the right uh, the right of working with the um, artist to establish what exactly this final thing is going to look like. As I was going to mention, I probably put more detail into my comic writing. But then when I work with an artist, I'm like, hey, I have put this together for you so you understand what I mean. If you as an artist represent this visually differently, I'm also not precious about it. And then on the other hand, you have what is reported as the classic Marvel style back in the old days, right? When, you know, you have all these debates in history about who truly created certain characters because there is alleged that very, very famous comic writers just said, this this famous character is doing this thing. At some point, they'll fight this villain and he'll win. And then it was the artist that went and actually put all that together and how that happened. So then you debate about how much direction they truly had from a writer other than the general story beats. I do try to give them maybe more than others would, but it is very much... Um, with a comic script, a lot of discussion, a lot of collaboration that goes on when that when when that's being translated, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned about like the community, and obviously conventions are a great way to meet people um, in that community. It's not anymore uh, with the state of the world as it is. Is there any like online comics communities that you're finding particular value in at the moment? Yeah, I would say, especially if you're looking to get into the scene in general, there are any number on your social media platform of choice, probably Facebook, reality with groups and so on. If you're looking to purely team up with people, there are some good groups where I have found people to work with. Um, content can vary. Quite often an artist will post their work and then rather than get offers of work, you get lots of people telling them that their rates are either too high or too low. Didn't ask for your opinion on that. But one place I will tell you is great for community um, is um, podcast and Facebook group. Listen to the Awesome Comics podcast. Um, the hosts of that, so uh, Vince, uh, Tony and Dan, all very very familiar with the uk indie comic scene met them many times at conventions super super nice guys some of them some of the uh, some of the first people i ever spoke to uh, at conventions about getting started in comics it was vince who i spoke to at a comic-con in melksham many years ago and he was there at the time with his first comic having had a similar epiphany to me right i've talked about doing this for years i'm just going to do it couple of years later i met him and i was the other side of a table um and those guys have a, a weekly podcast awesome comics podcast they have um a facebook group where everyone is in there not hard selling their latest kickstarter but actually talking about processes you know how do you deal with this particular challenge or just talking about um you know what the what the opinions are on the comics industry right now everything from publishing to technical things about um the equipment and the programs you're using for your arts where writers are getting together they just did a great session on a collaborative creation of a comic character that they're they're working through as a community project in there right now where someone suggested a character their yeah, people pitched in with character names and then the group took a vote on it and then we all pitched the story the, the story arc and for the selected character and then they voted on it. And then 
artists have put in a concept drawing of what the character might look like and people have voted on it and right now they're in the midst of creating a comic story together so there's some great stuff going on i would recommend heartily um that you get on board with that as well and um i'll say well i'm here uh tony vince dan if you're listening to this you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) i love that idea of the collaboration that's collaboration dialed up to 11 when you're working your way through a story or a, a new character comics character and you're putting everything to vote like that in a facebook group i i'm really intrigued to see how that plays out and what yeah. the end result is yeah worth, worth checking the group out as well they're always doing stuff like this especially like times of you know certain times of year as well um with with different events and so on and i think they have like catch up and draw sessions as well while everyone's in lockdown so there's some really nice community things going on and as i say it's people who i know that are from that collective of people where I was really encouraged to stop thinking about making comics and actually went and did it. Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Even if our listeners or any writer that's hearing this isn't interested, doesn't have any ambition to write in comics, just reading a comic, thinking about how a, how the story is told visually can only improve and help you think about how you approach telling a story in, in any medium. How do you decide when you come up with a story idea uh, what medium it's best suited to? Um, for medium, I'd probably say length is a big is a big issue, and and certainly there are there are adaptations. One of my stories that was in um, another stories episode. So it's if you dial back to their ancient Egypt um, topic, good couple of years ago now, twenty eighteen. Um, the, there is a story by me in that in that topic called Entombed, and that was a comic first. So that is that's you you'll have seen it in the Horde Comics anthology. So I did it as a comic, and then I expanded it with some more dialogue and some things that is hard to convey in comics these days. You know, the inner thoughts of a character, thought bubbles are a bit um, a bit passe these days. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I could expand that into a written format to then produce in audio. I think if your if your idea is one of those ideas that you mentioned earlier, John, so you know a big sprawling arms and legs, it's it's growing, it's getting out of control, it becomes a book, it becomes a series of books. For me, I would say that type of idea is very well served on the page in the first instance because then your limitations are how much you have the energy to write and it to be engaging. When you're when you're dialing it down to audio formats like the other stories a film format if you want to go down that route a comic then each of those comes with more production cost and more other you know fantastic opportunities for creative ideas and creative mediums to come in but that is always going to adjust what your what your core writing is doing and it comes with more discipline that you're going to have to have there because you know you have to write something which is achievable you have to write something which fits into the numbers of comic pages you have you have to write something which a film crew is able to produce visually you have to write something that then can be coherent when spoken and doesn't rely on a visual element if it's for audio all of these things are constraints or disciplines that you're going to have to add in whereas when it comes to your pure writing your limits are pretty much only yourself right 
Very, very true. I mentioned, and it's in your author bio, I mentioned it in the intro, that you have a spreadsheet for everything. And I was just thinking as you were saying that, when you sit down to plot a story or just come up with the idea for a story, is this is a spreadsheet the place that you start? Do you? I've, I've heard of uh, techniques like the snowflake method. I think that promotes using a spreadsheet to kind of figure out your story beats. Do you use spreadsheets in your plotting? Um, for plotting, actually, no, but I do. I still get to say they're for everything because I do them for comics. So when I'm actually in a production process, then I will gant chart out my pro- my progress. And you know, when I'm writing, for example, Horde comics, I had every single page that was written down there. Has it been written? Has it been checked? Has it been confirmed? Do I have sketches? Do I have that in there? Is this you know to the point was is this ready to print and it is a PDF? And then, of course, you have lots of lovely functions that say, right, my book is currently X percent complete. And you want those functions in there to auto-update. So as you're clicking through, the numbers go up and everyone feels good about it. But um, when it comes to the actual thinking of original story ideas, I'm one of those terribly inconsiderate people where all of my favourite story ideas come in locations where I am the least likely to ever be able to have anything to write it down on let alone a spreadsheet for it so all of my favorite story ideas came i thought about old mill lane when i was walking through bristol town center and i was meant to be concentrating on house hunting i thought about um my most recent entry into the the other stories which is the strange reality bending one i thought of that while i was in the shower again I don't have waterproof pen and paper with me, you know, and you know, and it's while you're literally in the very early stage of the shower. So it's going to be a while before I'm anywhere that I can write this down. <laughs> or my other favourite place to come up with an idea that I get really excited about is when I'm literally on a motorway driving. So I cannot even, you know, it's not even like when you're out for a walk, you can grab your phone and make a quick couple of notes. I cannot do anything about this because I'm on my own in a car on the motorway and I am not planning to stop for another two hours. So, yeah, that, that's that's where my ideas first come. And then my struggle is having to hold on to those until I'm in a position to try and expand them. But when it comes to stories in general, my I guess it comes from where I used to make up stories as, as a kid. I will fully own here that I was a strange and unusual child. I quite often... I had toys that I would play with and make up stories, but quite often I would, and it's a wonder my parents didn't take me to see someone, if I'm entirely honest, I would quite often just spend an afternoon when, you know, when I wasn't playing with friends, I did have one or two, um, you know, when I did have, um, when I didn't have friends over or I wasn't interacting with anyone else, I would quite often just have one toy in my hand or an interesting shaped stick or one of those clips that you use to, to seal up pasta um or you know to keep it fresh as well and i would quite often just like be pacing up and down in the garden working through a story that i was like telling myself and just imagining as i was going with this one item that i was holding and like you know just moving about in my hand while i was playing out this story in my head and i guess maybe that has come to help when it comes to a story that comes when i'm not in a position to write it down because i would finish playing my game of um thinking of a story and then come back to it later and begin with okay where did i leave this last time oh they were here and they were doing this this is what's <laughs> going to happen next 
was the was the story that you were crafting about the item in your hand, or was the item just like a tactile thing to help you think? Just a just a tactile thing, or it could be like you know you'd imagine that hey this this stick that I'm holding is it's like the engine of the ship, and I can imagine the rest of it around it, or this is this is a part of it, or or the shape in this particular thing looks like what might be the the weapon of this character, or something like that, or like the arm or something like that, and then everything else would, would come from that. Andy, I really want you to tell me that you still use props in the story generation process, but I fear that you're not going to. No, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I tell you, they can't lock me up at this point, right? They, didn't, they haven't done it yet. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm holding this pen now as I'm, as I'm going through, and it's true. Like, quite often I will, not that my wife's in, I want to stay married, but like, I, um, I, will, I will occasionally, yeah, I'll be in in the kitchen and if I'm really pacing about thinking up a story, I'll go to the kitchen drawer and I'll get out one of those um, one of those clips that you keep the biscuits fresh with. And I'll just move it around in my hand while I'm pacing up and down, thinking about what I'm going to do with this story next. And not just stories, I do it with some when I'm doing creative tasks at work as well. If I really want to think through how I'm going to get code to stick or a bit of language to stick together. I'll I'll pace around and really think it out. Wow. Everyone's going to be running out to buy pasta bag clips now to see how it's going to improve their writing. Yeah, and, I use uh, the um I use the IKEA ones. You want the ones with actually a good uh a solid grip, ones that just clip apart, they'll fall they'll fall apart. You want ones that have got a real fixed hinge. There you go. All the best writing advice here on Great Writer Share, people. Uh, <laughs> we are uh, we're clocking up some time here, so I want to before we uh, get into our final questions, I just want to point everyone in the direction of an interesting article that you posted um, called "Selling Your Story: Peaks and Pitfalls of Publishing Contracts." I think this is uh, a very useful thing for writers who are in the fortunate position to have uh, experienced some success and are perhaps about to work with a publisher. Um, we probably couldn't go into, into in too much detail on the show anyway, because I imagine you'd probably need to preface any advice with, uh, with many disclaimers. But could you briefly tell people what that article is? And, and also, why did you decide to write that article? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so it came through... It originally came up. I was talking to a friend um, about a about a publishing contract that uh, that they'd been offered, and I'd seen a couple of things. And he, they just asked me to take a look and um, give some advice as to whether I thought or not it was a it was a, it was a good it was a good deal that they should they should pursue. And I took a look look at it, and I'm never one to make someone's decision for them. So I pointed out what the um, you know what what my read on it was and then said look you can i don't know your position on x y and z so these are the things that i would think about these are the questions i would go back and ask the publisher um and then it kind of got me thinking afterwards um i don't i don't i say i don't write full-time i i do i don't write fiction full-time i work in a in a corporate world where um, I manage a team of corporate writers. So we are selling our company's services to businesses who put bids out for, you know, for their business to work with them. And by extension, I spend a lot of my time 
working on and in the past in past roles negotiating contracts working with legal teams looking at these things in detail so contractual documents are things that i am i'm not a stranger to and it really struck me as especially working in the the comic sector and in publishing as well that for so many people i think that and i think i open this and i will give you a brief one of these prefaces that by i am by no means anti-publisher i think there are a lot of fantastic ones out there that do an awful lot for creators and give people a great opportunity for their stories to be told but not all of these contracts are created equal and i think having a published book be it in comics be it in in you know audio be it in text it is it is such a mark of prestige that anyone who is um you know they've given themselves that tag of being an aspiring writer and they're looking for that that marker that says i have made it i think being published and disagree with me if you like john i think it's it's like the the holy grail that everyone is chasing right i'm i'm published someone uh, a separate person has looked at my work and validated me by saying this is good enough to publish i want to put this out there now not all comics are created not all comics, not all publishers are going to give things equally. So in some of the observations I made on this and some of the visibility I've had to other contracts as well, it's really just about not being blinded by someone says I'm good enough, how fast can I sign this and get this into production? Because there are all sorts of questions that you would want to ask and really look at what your value is. Um, I would encourage anyone who's being offered any type of publication deal to assess where they are in their career, assess what is being offered to them and assess truly what your commitments are and you are giving away. Like this isn't a document that you're going to sign and then this publisher is going to give you a gift out of the out of the kindness of their hearts. There is something that they are going to be gaining from it and you yourself as a writer and the work that you've created is a commodity when they offer you a publishing deal they have said that they have an interest in working with you and getting that out there but you very much needn't be just full of smiles and gratitude and how fast can i give away all of this stuff the very fact is that your publisher is going to ideally in an ideal world make money from from selling your product so you in a sense as well as being their commodity are also their customer so i would encourage anyone to ask questions of a publisher as to what exactly they are doing for you uh, be it that question you ask them be it that's something that you research yourself understand what people's reach are how they're going to market you how they're going to sell you what the distribution networks are like the type of questions that I in the corporate world, you know, I, I work for a big company that 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 sells services. And I'm telling you that when companies deal with each other on a business to business level, we are asked incredibly tough questions about proving our credentials and proving how we will serve that organization and how we have the capabilities and the network and the responsibilities that are, you know, that are going to be placed upon us in working with them. 
and the same is true of any type of business arrangement. If you are giving your, if you're giving someone the rights to represent you and to sell your work, understanding how you are, how you are served in turn by them, um, is an important question that you want to pause and ask yourself. Sorry, that was a, a long way of explaining it. I hope that made sense. No, it was very, very thorough, and it's an incredibly useful resource. And anyone, as I said, who's in the fortunate position to be looking at something like a publishing contract, I will link to it in the show notes to this episode. And I think it's well worth taking a look. Um, we have a Patreon question for you. Sure. So in your author bio, we haven't really spoken about it just now, but um, in your author, bi author bio sorry, that you supplied, uh, you mentioned that you were a big fan of comedy and horror. And uh, one of our patrons, Laura Kay, has picked up on that. And she asks, people say there's a fine line between comedy and horror. And in brackets, she's put, it's me, I'm people. And she goes on to say, how do you think authors can use this fine line to its greatest effect? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, yeah, I, I agree. There is a super fine line when it comes to horror and comedy. I think, you know, in the same way that sometimes when you see something quite horrific, your first reaction before revulsion may be to almost laugh and in, in, in surprise in some of these things. It's why sometimes over the top gore can be very funny in a, in a, in a horror movie that really embraces that comedic side. Or it can be a release of tension so that a story you're telling isn't just incredibly unpleasant and depressing to experience right i think having the lightness um that comes with that is is how you avoid things becoming a very gray area i think to use it effectively you've got to understand what your story is and and then be consistent with it um comedy would be i was going to say comedy was out would be out of place in a film in a, you know a film or story that is intensely serious by like midsummer but actually that is pretty funny towards the end <laughs> but, um, oh but in that bear costume but um yeah like i i think there's you know if you wanted something tonally okay let's choose a better example a joke at the end of the exorcist would be would be out of place like if when he fell down the stairs, Harry Hill came out and was like, oh, 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 you know, it, 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 it wouldn't work. But I think finding what is tonally correct for your story and understand what you want the comedy to do. Do you want it to enhance the horror? Do you want it to make your characters more likable so their peril is more relatable? Do you want it as light relief from what otherwise may be you know do you want something which is going to be a feel-good movie but is in the horror genre something you know classic slasher movie like um something like red like not ready or not ready or not is another good example but um happy death day um it, it's a slasher movie it's by and by and large it's a horror movie but there is quite a light tone and a quippy fast pace to it that comedy there serves to indeed to the characters and to keep the overall tone of the movie um and i think it's just about as i say work out what you want to deliver and then that's how you and then and then you can adjust your balance on the horror and comedy scale think of it as a 
a, a set of tipping scales work out what your what your mix wants to be so you can much like neighbors find the old perfect blend great answer <laughs> very good answer um before we get to our quick fire round we have an, a question that we ask everyone it's always the same question so andy why do you write um i write because i like telling stories i like hearing them um i love sharing stories and i it's so nice it's, you know getting the validation back when someone does it shouldn't be what it's all about but it does keep you going like it's nice to tell stories and genuinely i think i would do it if no one listened if i was telling them to my if i was telling them to myself and my dog or the stick that i'm walking around holding in my hand if i was just telling the stories to those i would still like doing it um but it is a fantastic feeling i think it encouraged me to do more when you get some feedback especially when it's from a someone that you've never encountered before i've been at a convention and someone has come up to me and said oh hey i i bought um i, I bought your first comic from you last time i was here do you have anything new out i really enjoyed it are you going to do a follow-up to this story um i got a very nice message about the nest on on twitter that someone bought from me at a convention oh i just read it i really liked it i've listened to the audio version now i didn't want to do it until i'd i'd heard the you know until i'd finished reading it and now i'm really enjoying it and it's it's great to hear that like it's really nice to know that a story that i have made that i have made up or in the next case we have made up has been meaningful to someone and they took something away from it because i think it gives me that same feeling when I think of the stories that I like and I've taken away from and been in touch with the writers and said how much I like it. I think it's a nice feeling, like Christmas, but but stories, not presents. <laughs> Another good answer. All right, it's time for the quick fire round. I've taken up enough of your time. So we've just got 10 silly little questions just to answer as fast as you can. You can pass if you like. I don't think there's anything in here that you're going to require passing for. And Get ready. Yeah, it's just a little bit of fun. So are you ready? I am ready. Okay, let's go. Question one, if you had to choose Marvel or DC Comics? Marvel. Question two, what's your typical coffee order? Um, tea. Oh, wow. Controversial. <laughs> Number three, how do you celebrate little wins like finishing a new story? Um, pizza. Nice. Number four, Apple phones or Android? Apple. Number five, favorite country you visited? Ooh. Poland. Used to live there. Great times. Question six. What's the best comic book to introduce a new reader to the medium? Oh, now you're asking. Um, let's go something classic, assuming they have a disposition to comics, something like Ultimates, like um, Ultimates or Ultimate X-Men, maybe. Question seven. Your most used spreadsheet shortcut. Oh, spreadsheet. I'm a big V Lookup fan myself. Question eight. Favourite horror villain? Oh, favourite horror... Oh, Freddy. Question nine. Which podcast app do you use? Um, Apple Podcasts. Although they've redesigned the interface today. Hate it. <laughs> Might Apple. be changing. 
Apple do better. Question 10. You can only play one video game for the rest of your life. What is it? Gunstar Heroes. And a little bonus... A little bonus one. Question 11. Where can our listeners find out more about you and all that you're working on? Um, I am mostly hanging around on the Hellscape, which is Twitter at AndyCTWrites. But um, you can find, yeah, find me there. And then anything else I'm working on, I'm always talking about whatever platform that's on. Twitter's the best place. Cool. We will link that in the show notes along with a couple of others that we've mentioned. Uh, Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, that was fascinating. Hey, thanks for having me, John. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Tune in next week when Faye will be joined by Lucinda E. Clark. Don't forget that you can catch up on the entire backlist of Great Writer Share episodes, plus a ton of behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, our Slack group, monthly Q&As with me and the other hosts, and even one-to-one coaching from Dan by joining our Patreon from as little as $1 a month. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash greatwritershare for all the details. Until next time.